Lord, we are grateful for this word and we're grateful for the character of Jonah and we pray that you would continue to bring these scriptures to life, breathe life into us and as you do, Lord, would you move us to respond. God, this morning, would you move on your church? Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, say that with me. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're closing out this series on the book of Jonah this morning. One thing I've said repeatedly that stood out to me in my preparations, most of the Old Testament prophets record oracle after oracle of prophetic utterance, but in this case, the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, The story is God's prophetic utterance to the people of God. And I think there's a lot of good that we can glean from Jonah's story. So this morning, I'm thinking about Jonah as one of the characters I love to poke fun at. And I think it's because I see so much of myself in him. And as we go through this chapter four, maybe you will see the same. But first, as we review, in chapter one, Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh And Jonah fled in the opposite direction, running as far and fast away from God as he could. We saw that God's call demands a response, and Jonah responded by running away. And then we saw in Jonah chapter 2 where God showed mercy on Jonah as he was thrown into the ocean to spare the lives of these sailors. And Jonah found himself in one of the deepest, darkest pits, the belly of a great fish, deepest, darkest places he had ever been in in his life. And from that space, he had the head, the mindset to call out to God who heard Jonah and had mercy on Jonah. And we saw that God's mercy demands a response. Last week in chapter three, we saw the full effect of God's mercy and of that response as Jonah finally went to Nineveh and he preached a five-word sermon that brought the greatest revival in the history of revivals to the people of Nineveh. And this morning we're in Jonah chapter four and Jonah is just plain mad. He is fuming. The first word in chapter four, both in the New International Version that that Jacob read, the English, and also in the original Hebrew language, the first word read was, but. And I think that word is so appropriate because it illuminates the contrast between God and Jonah. There's a deep divide and difference between the two. God was angry with the Ninevites, but his was a righteous anger. Jonah was angry, he was mad at God, and in this chapter he is mad because the Ninevites did not get what he thought they should have gotten. He thought they had it coming and they didn't get it. Jonah was angry, burning. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever been mad at God? If so, when was the last time? Last Sunday morning, when I was waking up, I knocked the glass off of the nightstand into the laundry that was right here on the, and the first word that I muttered that morning, I will not repeat. But we get angry at the slightest things. When you are mad and mad at God, how do you react? This morning, we wanna look at the contrast between Jonah and God, because it underscores our need for a savior and more importantly, 
our call to ministry. And here's the contrast. Here's the great difference between God and Jonah. Jonah reacts, many times overreacts, and God responds. And so the first thing we want to do this morning is, is look at Jonah's reaction. In chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah was angry with God. And in the very next verse, he prayed to the Lord. But the New Living Translation of the Bible says he complained to the Lord. How much of our praying is complaining? Dang it. In Hebrew, the words I, me, and my are used in verses two and three of Jonah chapter four, nine times. Talk about self-centered. Warren Wearsby is a prolific pastor from the late 20th century, first part of this century, and he wrote, for the second time in this account of Jonah, Jonah prays, but his second prayer was much different in content and intent. He prayed his best prayer in the worst place, the fish's belly. He prayed his worst prayer in the best place at Nineveh where God was working and he was oblivious, Jonah was. His first prayer came from a broken heart. His second prayer came from an angry heart. Jonah talked to God, and this is what he prayed in verse two. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Jonah did not oppose going to Nineveh because he feared losing his life from these Ninevites who were atrocious. Jonah opposed going to Nineveh because he knew that God would save the Ninevites. And this was more than racism. This was patriotism. One commentary said that Nineveh was as bad as Nazi Germany, Iraq, and Iran, all rolled up into one. So talk about bigotry. Jonah despised the Ninevites to the uttermost, and his attitude towards God was like, I knew it. And then he makes this great theological statement, but I can't help but hear it with a hint of sarcasm. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from sending calamity, blah, 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 blah. Jonah hijacks that phrase that was used by Moses and Nehemiah, King David and the prophet Joel. As far as the Hebrew language goes, there is no mystery surrounding that description of God. There are not multiple meanings for those words we just used. We don't have to guess about God. It's right here in his word. He is patient and abounding in steadfast love. God relents when it comes to sending calamity. He is gracious and compassionate. His forefathers knew that. Jonah knew this to be true. He just couldn't stand that the Ninevites knew it. So much that his praying, his complaining, begs God to take his life. And in verse three, he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah complained. And in verse four, the Lord checked Jonah on his anger and asked him if he felt like he had any right to be angry. And Jonah up and left again fled Nineveh to the east side. And so if we're looking at the map, Israel's down here, Nineveh up here. And the first time God called Jonah, he ran to Tarshish. 
This time, Jonah is running east. And in both instances, he's running away from the holy city, the holy temple, God's presence. As far and as fast as he can, even in this instance, to the east side of Nineveh. It's said that when Adam and Eve were banished out of the Garden of Eden, God put cherubim on the east side of the garden so that they could not make their way back into it. They were cast out to the east side of the garden. And east in the scriptures is thought to be the most obvious place that's right in front of us. I want to suggest that it is the easiest place that's right in front of us. And Jonah took the easy way out. For the second time, he went to sulk under a shelter. Jonah made for himself this sorry little temporary shelter where he could look down over the city of Nineveh, maybe in hopes that God would still put on them what he thought they had coming to them. And yet again, God provided for Jonah. It must have been cramped there in that crude, temporary little shelter. And God provided a little greenery, a great big vine to cast shade over that sun that was beating down on Jonah's head. Verse six, it says, to save him, Jonah, from his discomfort. And Jonah was glad. Glad, you ask? Exceedingly glad, it said, because of the plant And the next morning, God provided a worm to chew that plant in two, and that plant withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind to beat down on Jonah's head such that he was faint. And again, Jonah wanted to die. Throughout this whole book of Jonah, we have seen Jonah react and overreact, running from God, complaining to God, frustrated with God. Can you relate That's Jonah's reaction. Now let's consider God's response. And we've already established that God provided shade for Jonah in the same way that he provided the worm, in the same way that he provided the scorching east wind, in the same way that God provided that great fish to swallow Jonah. That same word, provide, is used all four times here in this book. And in some cases, God's provision is welcomed. In other cases, it is not. But shall we accept the good that comes from the Lord and not the bad? Our God is great. Let's look at that word, great, because Jonah told us that Nineveh was a great city whose wickedness had come up before God. And when Jonah fled God's call, God sent a great wind out over the sea. And the men in that boat were exceedingly afraid, exceedingly, same word as great, afraid because of this great storm. And when the men threw Jonah overboard and the seas calmed, those men with the mouths of sailors feared God exceedingly or greatly. And the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And finally, Jonah went to the great city of Nineveh and everybody from the greatest to the least responded to this message of doom and gloom. But Jonah was greatly too displeased. And then God sent this plant, and Jonah is greatly or exceedingly happy. Talk about drama. I get the feeling that Jonah's the type of guy who, you have one story, I can do you one better. 
Or every time there's a bad call on TV, he's got an earful for the official. Or when something goes wrong, it's never his fault. Always someone else's responsibility. Someone else is the blame. Jonah is up and then he's down. He's grateful, then he's not. Calling out to God for mercy, then calling down fire from heaven. Great is used in reference from everything, from the sea to the storm, the fish to the king, from frustration to joy. What's missing is the reference to our God. Nowhere does it say how great our God is in the book of Jonah. God alone is great. God alone is good. Core people, when the created is the focal point of our story and not the creator, there will be such drama that surrounds our lives that we won't be able to stand self When we worship creation and not creator, we open ourselves up for disappointment and frustration, and that's because we make ourselves out to be like God's, lowercase g, S on the end. We think we have our rights. We think we get to call the shots, but it's God who's in control. It's God who called Jonah. God sent the storm. God provided the great fish. God brought revival. God even provided that great plant. And Jonah laments, I would rather die, die, die. And God speaks again. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Verse nine. And Jonah says, yes. And I'm so mad I could die. But God has the last word. God who sent that plant, whether it sprung up overnight or not, is not important. It was the Lord's doing. He took it away as well. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is just and he shows mercy to whoever he will. He gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God showed mercy to the Ninevites because he is great. God alone is good and he is in control. Do you trust him? Jonah trusted God so long as God's plan made sense in Jonah's mind and that's just it. God was not making any sense to the way things Jonah thought they should have gone. And that's the way it is for us. God was not operating the way that Jonah knew God to operate. While you are a great and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents sending calamity, while all of that is great theology, without God at its core, those are just empty words. And God is robbed of all his power, of all his glory, of all his godness. There is a mystery surrounding who God is and how he operates in this world. God provides, God speaks, he listens and responds. We react and overreact again and again, and God is faithful. He has shown us his character. He's given us his values. He's offered us community with him and with each other. And so we pursue him. 
We pursue holiness in the context of community, and God has invited us to go to Nineveh with him because his heart is for this whole world, and it's more than a message of love. Because we are called to love our neighbors and our enemies. We're called to love one another. Our mission is to be disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Discipleship and reproduction of discipleship is the litmus test of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And what is often missing in that process A necessary component of gospel proclamation is repentance. It's often left out. So this morning, let me ask you a question. Church, why are we so angry? I won't speak for you, but I know many times it's because I don't get my way or I've been wrongly or falsely accused, or insecurity begets insecurity and I act out because I know better and I want what I want. And that is reacting and overreacting time and time again. And God has called us to himself and invited us to pursue him and holiness in the context of community. And one of the fruits of that pursuit is responding. It is a taming of the will, a surrendering of our desire, deepest desire to God. And as we respond, and there is that type of fruit in our life, It is God-like who responds because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he does not treat us as we deserve. And he doesn't treat the world that way either. He's called us, he's invited us to go with him to the world. And so... I believe deep down within that God has called us and prepared us to receive more of him, to experience more of him, more than any of us have ever known or felt or been a part of before. He's invited us into health and life as we pursue holiness together. He's invited us to join him in what he's doing here in Tyler, Texas, Smith County, and around the world. And I am so dissatisfied with the status quo. I am hungry for more of God and his ways in our lives and in this church. And when I say that, I don't mean me, I mean we. That's my heart for us, that God would wake us up and get a hold of us and do something that none of us have seen or experienced before in our lives. But first, I want to invite you to repent and make an about face that we might go with God. And yes, it's individual, but it's also corporate, that we might respond to the gospel, which at its core and in its simplest terms, the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, dead, and buried, raised from the dead, 
ascended into heaven. And because he did, when he did, he went from being right here on the outside of us to right here on the inside of those who repent and put the full weight of their existence on him. And that's what we are after here in core, together in the context of community. And so as we draw this time to a close, may we be a people marked by repentance, not just once, but every day surrendering our life to him, our will to God, who knows better, whose ways are not like ours, and who wants so much more for us. I want it too, don't you? Let's go to Nineveh. God has invited us to go to Nineveh, and it starts right now. So Lord, we turn to you this morning. We repent corporately. We believe and put the full weight of our existence on you. We receive everything you have for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.